What is at stake is the deep understanding of the scope of responsibility we bear if we take seriously our roles as parents, neighbors, townspeople, citizens, and children of the covenant. Judicially, only the criminal is responsible for his crime. But, implies the Torah, we are also our brother's keeper. We share collective responsibility for the moral and spiritual health of society. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 166, Ezekiel's Ne'ilah. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. A moving film is Waiting for Superman, a documentary about children desperate to get out of the school systems in which they find themselves and to avail themselves of better opportunities. The most poignant and painful scene was described by Roger Ebert in his review. Quote, Toward the end of Waiting for Superman, there is a sequence that cuts between lottery drawings for five charter schools. Admission to the best of these schools dramatically improves chances of school graduation and college acceptance. We have met five of these students, heard from them and their parents, and hope they'll win. The cameras hold on their faces as numbers are drawn or names are called. The odds against them are 20 to 1. Lucky students leap in joy. The other 19 of the 20 will return to their neighborhood schools, which more or less guarantees they will be part of a 50% dropout rate. The key thing to keep in mind is that underprivileged inner-city kids at magnet schools such as KIPP, LA Prep, or the Harlem Success Academy will do better academically than well-off suburban kids with fancy high school campuses, athletic programs, swimming pools, closed-circuit TV, and lush landscaping, end quote. The movie inspires us to ponder how one's lot in life is impacted by others. On the one hand, at the heart of the Jewish moral worldview, which it gave humanity through the Bible, is the belief in moral agency, free will, the ability of individuals to overcome environs and external influence. At the same time, we do know that good schools, gifted teachers, influential family members can dramatically impact people's future. A way of saying this is that the lottery of life does ultimately influence the future of many. And this, too, is something we recognize. The complexity of all that we have said lies, I believe, at the heart of a passage in Ezekiel and in the liturgy and rituals of Yom Kippur, in which a verse from Ezekiel takes central stage. Chapter 18 of Ezekiel analyzes the role of repentance and freedom in determining the way that one is judged by God. The prophet gives us a case of a righteous individual whose son is wicked. Verse 8. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hands from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes, and hath kept my judgment to deal truly. He is just, he shall surely live, saith the Lord God. If he beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and that doeth the like to any of the one of these things, and that doeth not any of these duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountains and defiled his neighbor's wife, hath oppressed the poor and needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given forth upon usury, and hath taken increase. Shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations, he shall surely die, his blood shall be upon him. The wicked man then will be punished, even though his father was righteous. Ezekiel then turns to the opposite case. If the wicked individual has a righteous son, verse 14, Now lo, if he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins which he hath done and considereth and does not such like, that hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, hath not defiled his neighbor's wife. Of such a person, Ezekiel adds in verse 17, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. Thus, the emphasis throughout is on individual responsibility, a principle then summed up by Ezekiel in verse 20. The soul that sinneth it shall die, 
The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Here, God seems to say that there is no collective punishment. The problem, of course, is obvious. Ezekiel appears to contradict what God says about himself at Sinai in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 5. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. What are we to make of this? The traditional Jewish approach to reconciling these verses is that one cannot be judged for the sins of others unless, as parents or as descendants or as members of a larger group in general, we refuse to learn from the mistakes of others in our lives or if we refrain from attempting to influence others for the better. In an excellent essay on this Ezekiel passage, which we have sent you in today's email, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs puts it this way, quote, What is at stake is the deep understanding of the scope of responsibility we bear if we take seriously our roles as parents, neighbors, townspeople, citizens, and children of the covenant. Judicially, only the criminal is responsible for his crime, but implies the Torah. We are also our brother's keeper. We share collective responsibility for the moral and spiritual health of society. All Israel, said the sages, are responsible for one another. Legal responsibility is one thing and relatively easy to define, but moral responsibility is something altogether larger, if necessarily more vague. Let not a person say, I have not sinned, and if someone else commits a sin, that is a matter between him and God. This is contrary to the Torah, writes Maimonides in the Sefer HaMitzvot. This, Rabbi Sachs continues, is particularly so when it comes to the relationship between parents and children. Abraham was chosen, says the Torah, solely so that he will instruct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. The duty of parents to teach their children is fundamental to Judaism. It appears in both the first two paragraphs of the Shema, as well as the various passages cited in the Four Sons section of the Haggadah. End quote. What this means is that the Ten Commandments consideration of the collective and Ezekiel's emphasis on the individual ought to be taken together in tandem. Rabbi Sachs continues by elucidating the point in the following way, quote, To be sure, we are not legally responsible for the sins of either our parents or our children. But in a deeper, more amorphous sense, what we do and how we live do have an effect on the future to the third and fourth generation, end quote. Rabbi Sachs then, interestingly, gives the discussion a contemporary twist by citing the writings of sociologists Robert Putnam and Charles Murray in their respective books, Our Kids and Coming Apart. Rabbi Sachs writes, quote, Their argument is roughly this, that at a certain point in the late 1950s or early 1960s, a whole series of institutions and moral codes began to dissolve. Marriage was devalued. Families began to fracture. More and more children grew up without stable association with their biological parents. New forms of child poverty began to appear, as well as social dysfunctions such as drug and alcohol abuse, teenage pregnancies, and crime and unemployment in low-income areas. Over time, an upper class pulled back from the brink and is now intensively preparing its children for high achievement, while on the other side of the tracks, children are growing up with little hope for educational, social, and occupational success. The American dream of opportunity for all is wearing thin. What makes this development so tragic, Rabbi Sachs continues, is that for a moment, people forgot the biblical truth that what we do does not affect us alone. It will affect our children to the third and fourth generation. And Rabbi Sachs also adds, if we fail to honor our responsibilities as parents, then though no law will hold us responsible, society's children will pay the price. They will suffer because of our sins. End quote. The larger structure of family and society matters. And it is with this in mind that Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik strikingly explained 
a ritual performed in the temple on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement. A lottery is held over two identical goats, designating one animal to God and one to be cast away in the wilderness. The symbolism Rabbi Soloveitchik suggested is meant to be about us. We are asking God to consider how one's lot in life influences individuals. Or as the book Reflections of the Rav puts it, the ritual is to be seen as, quote, a psychodramatic representation of the penitent's state of mind and his emotional need, end quote. Rabbi Soloveitchik also applied the symbolism of the two goats personally, reflecting that it was his own background that he had, one which he did not choose, that allowed him to attain certain things Judaically that many other Jews did not achieve. And this, I think, is a striking example when we consider it. On the one hand, to study Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik's writings is to encounter a unique intellectual and spiritual mind and soul. But it is also true that helping to form his greatness was a brilliant mother who guided him, a father who dedicated much of his own life to teaching his son, as well as a family method of learning that played a central role in his own study, teaching, and spiritual achievement. I thought of Rabbi Soloveitchik's interpretation of the Temple Lottery and its symbolic interpretation to all of us when I saw Waiting for Superman, which, as I mentioned, has a lottery scene. As I recall, there's a heartbreaking moment when the lottery concludes and one child, whose name has not been called, who will not be admitted to one of the charter schools, turns to her mother and says something like, they didn't say me, they didn't say me. And you realize suddenly how that lottery will impact the children in that room through no choice of their own. The director of the documentary, David Guggenheim, says himself that he was a huge believer in children going to public school. But then he adds, quote, It was time to choose a school for my own children, and then reality set in. My feelings about public education didn't matter as much as my fear of sending them to a failing school. And so every morning, betraying the ideals I thought I lived by, I drive past three public schools as I take my kids to a private school. But I'm lucky. I have a choice. Other families pin their hopes to a bouncing ball, a hand pulling a card from a box, or a computer that generates numbers in random sequence. End quote. Judaism is, of course, a faith that emphasizes freedom. And as we have previously discussed, the corollary of responsibility and moral agency is the possibility of repentance, of change, of fixing one's flaws. Our chapter of Ezekiel is prominent in the prayer known as Ne'ilah, closing, as the sun sets on the holiest of days and the last chance for repentance on the Day of Atonement is upon us. At that moment, we cite in prayer Ezekiel 18, verse 23 which gives us an exquisite emphasis on both individual freedom and the Almighty's overwhelming love and mercy. Ezekiel tells us in God's name, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should repent from his ways and live? At that moment, citing Ezekiel, in Ne'ilah, each of us stands alone before God. Each of us focuses on the freedom with which we have been endowed and on our ability to overcome our own failings. But at the same time, One of the most moving moments as Yom Kippur begins is the tradition that many have, as I do, of placing their hands on their children's head and blessing them. We do so not because our children need inspiration to repent. They are children. Rather, the point, perhaps, is that we need to consider the influence that we have on those in our lives and how we will exercise that influence in the year to come. Parents and children joined at Yom Kippur's beginning, individuals standing alone before the Almighty at the end. The two scenes capture, together, the collective and the individual, which, joined, defines Judaism itself. And joining Ezekiel's teachings 
with others in the Torah leaves us with the lesson that we must each use our freedom to attempt to positively impact as many others as we can. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together next week. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom and signing off.